It's good to be with you again. If you were uh, not here last week, and maybe this is your first time, my name is Eiley. Um, I get to hang out with a bunch of people in groups, uh, specifically young adults. I, I work on the local college campuses and, and uh, bring the light of Jesus to them and encourage them to use their everyday lives, their degrees, their interests, their friendships for kingdom building. Um, and I get to have fun here at the Grove as my home base. Um, so it's good to see all of you again. We've been wandering through this beautiful story of Ruth. Um, if you're not familiar with Ruth, it's in the Old Testament, and it's an account of mainly three people, but there's implications of a community. Uh, it's named after the, the main protagonist, I guess you could say, Ruth, and she is a foreigner. And she comes from Moab, which is enemies, it's an enemy city, an enemy people from God's people, the Israelites. But we saw in chapter 1 that she married into the, the family of God, somewhat illegally, that was not allowed. <clears throat> Sorry, fighting a cold, got that phlegm demon in my throat. Um... And she, she covenants with her mother-in-law after they lose their husbands, tragically. And this covenant is one that uh, evokes the depth of love of marriage, but goes farther because she promises to uh, covenant or stay with, commit to uh, her mother-in-law, Noemi's family or her people forever, even after Noemi's death. So then we see that picture in chapter one. Then we... we uh, Noemi, or Naomi, I keep calling Noemi, Naomi hears about God's visit to Israel and, and his blessing of provision during a famine, and they have this bumper crop of barley. So she is now a widow in need, heads back to her hometown of Bethlehem. So in chapter two, what we see is Ruth stepping up and uh, enacting or acting on a law that the Israelites have that if you are uh, impoverished and in need, you are allowed to glean or collect the leftovers in the edges of the fields. So in chapter two, we see this cool story of Ruth stepping up as the foreigner who's now converted to this new culture. She steps in fully with boldness but humility and gleans for her family and meets this this elder or this uh, uh, leader in the community named Boaz. He's the owner of the field that she happens upon. Um, and they uh, strike up an agreement. She begins to work for him. And what she finds in Boaz is an immense uh, grace and care and generosity because he meets every need with what she needs plus more than enough. So essentially, one of the ways he does this is uh, a, a gleaner or someone that gleans would probably collect enough grain or food to um, feed their, their family, maybe for that day, maybe for the next. But that's about it. Well, she, Boaz, her first day of work, sends her home with 30 pounds of food, that enough, in other words, to feed her family, her and Naomi, for a, probably about a month. And then he continues this generosity. And she sees this generosity in the way he treats his, his other workers, the way he eats with his workers, the way he serves his workers. So we see this in chapter two. Well, then she gets home and tells uh, her mother-in-law, her mother Naomi, like, ah, 
you know, how was work? Well, work was great, and I met this really generous guy, and he hired me on, and he gave me all this food, and his name is Boaz. And Naomi freaks, because Boaz is what is called a kinsman redeemer. And we talked a little bit about it last week, but we're going to focus in hard on it this week. A kinsman redeemer is, is a, a role that an elder in a family would play. It's a responsibility, if you will, that if someone in your family is in need or in danger, you have the uh, responsibility and authority to step up and take care of them in whatever need they have. That was their role in the whole family. So in this instance, uh, Naomi and Ruth have lost their husbands. Um, so R Naomi was married to the Elimelech, the, basically the, 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 the elder of her family. Her sons married two women, and if they had survived, would have had children, and if there was a son in that, the, the oldest son would have ca carried on the line. But the sons died and Elimelech died. So that left Elimelech's family with no heir. And in their culture, that was the worst thing that could ever happen to your family, that your line ends. It doesn't continue. So what we see here is Naomi needs someone to redeem or save or rescue her family's line, Elimelech's bloodline. And it has to be someone from Elimelech's family in order for it to, to be legitimate. So we see Boaz. So back to their, their little conversation. Naomi freaks out, tells Ruth, this is our redeemer. This is the relative that will save our line and give you safe uh, life, a husband that could bring about change in many, many ways. And that's where we left off last week. So this week we're going to focus in on this word redemption. Uh, the title of the sermon is Redemptive Purpose. We saw immense pain in chapter 1 and then the love that Ruth showed. And then we see uh, Ruth coming in and working towards uh, providing. And then now we see this purposeful redemption uh, flowing out of an, an awkward situation. Uh, but I want to I make sure that we understand what redemption means. So I Googled that. I was like, because Dave asked me, he put me on the spot. I was like, yeah, can you define redemption? And I was like, uh, you, you know, the wheel of, of thinking was going on in my brain. He's like, I know what it is, but to put it in words. Have you ever done that? When someone's like, well, what is it? And you're like, well, I know what it is, but I can't tell you. That means you don't know what it is. So um, I looked it up. Re re redemption is the action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil is the first definition. Second definition, the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment um, or relieving or clearing a debt. And both of those work. Both of those definitions play today as we look at redemption. So as we talk about redemption, you're going to hear this word over and over again, be thinking those definitions, okay? Our points for today, I'm going to flow through three uh, types of redemption or three ways redemption plays out. The first one is redemptive need. We're going to see this greatly. We already feel it in Naomi and Ruth's life. We, we've walked with them in one and two, and we see they're struggling, even though that there's a generosity. <clears throat> Pardon me. There's, there's this immense generosity that Boaz is providing, but they're still in need. 
<clears throat> their daily needs are the, the, the smallest need. They need someone to redeem their entire life, their bloodline. There's still this, this concern that their family's going to end when they die. And that's a huge deal. So there's this need. But then there's action. We're going to see as we read here in a minute, uh, Naomi concocts a plan and Ruth enacts a plan to get Boaz to notice Ruth. Maybe in their mind they think that he hasn't noticed yet. Um, and then we see redemptive purpose. We get to watch Boaz respond as the Redeemer. And it's such a beautiful picture of grace um, and love. So let's read through our, our text today. It's in Ruth 3, uh, verses 1 through 11. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that I may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down, Ruth, so she went down to the, the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered him, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made the, this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. So today we're going to walk through uh, this admittedly awkward situation. Um, but let's look first at the redemptive need of Naomi. Naomi, this is about five weeks, by the way, after chapter two. So the, the relationship between Ruth and Boaz um, and consequently Naomi most likely had strengthened. They knew each other. They worked together on the daily. Um, there, there was uh, probably conversations and catching up. And so they were familiar all right, so keep that in mind. This isn't the awkwardness of two where they didn't know each other. This is, they've been together now for five weeks in the fields in a uh, professional, if you will, relationship, but they're also, they know their relatives now. Okay, so store that away. Um, so Naomi concocts this plan. She, she tells her daughter-in-law, should I not be concerned about your welfare? You know, and the word she uses literally means safe home. She wants Ruth to have a safe home that a husband could provide in this culture. Like, so it's not like today where you can, as a single uh, person, specifically single woman, you can make a way for yourself, a pretty good way for yourself. You can go to the grocery store without being accosted. You couldn't do that in this culture. You needed uh, the husband to represent you. So Naomi was concerned that if Ruth didn't find a husband 
that she wouldn't have uh, a good life. And it maybe even it would be a shorter life. So what we see in Ruth's heart, this chesed, like we talked about last week, the charactery, kind love of God for Naomi is she wants to secure a place where Ruth will be safe um, in a husband's home. She wants security and protection, like physical protection for Ruth in a husband. But as you see, Naomi's main concern is, is not the redemption of her family. Her main concern is Ruth. And that's what makes this story so special. You can look at the, the practicality of Ruth finding uh, the Redeemer, Boaz, best case scenario. In Naomi's want of Elimelech's line to continue, none of that is in her concerns for Ruth. She is specifically, lovingly wanting Ruth to be taken care of, like God wants to care for his people. So that's, that's important. But Naomi knows that Boaz can provide all these things and some. Her need plus her dependence on Boaz's action comes out in desperation. So she says, okay, Naomi, here's what I want you to do. I want you to uh, clean up, all right? Covered in dirt, a little smelly, right? Wash yourself, put on some perfume, and put on your best garment. Now remember, they're impoverished. This isn't like they put on a wedding dress and it was like one of those 90s movies where the, you know, the nerdy uh, person, girl, takes the glasses off and the hot hunk's like, oh, hey, what you? it's not like that. Um, she puts on her best outer garment, which probably would have been pretty meager, probably uh, maybe uh, moth-eaten. It wouldn't have been something where you would have seen like, oh yeah, she's going somewhere fancy. Okay, so remember that. Um, but it would have been the best that she had. So she cleaned up. She put perfume on. And she's like, okay, I want you to go down to the threshing floor, which would have been this place outside the city. Usually it had a stone foundation, so somewhere kind of close to mountains, that the men would go during the threshing season, thresh out the, the grain from the chaff, uh, store it up. But then they would, um, you know, if it was a good season, they'd have a dinner, they'd celebrate, they'd do what the guys do, you know. Um, drink their ale or whatever it was back then, their wine, and, and talk about, man, such a good season. But they stayed there to guard their, their um, treasure, their, their food from thieves, from animals, whatever. So a lot of times uh, during this season, uh, there would be a bit of action outside of the city. Um, so go to the threshing floor, kind of hide out, don't be noticed, Wait till he's done doing his thing. When he lays down, goes to sleep, go up to him and uncover his feet, okay? And then when he wakes up, he'll, he'll tell you what to do. Now, there's an elephant in the room when you read this chapter. It always has been. When I used to read this without studying, I was like, hmm, cover his feet, huh? And there's some scholars that believe there's some romantically charged uh, action in this area. But when you interpret scripture, you have to look at all of scripture to help you understand maybe a confusing or maybe a contradicting part. And I would say that if you're viewing this uh, specific area of uncovering uh, Boaz's feet in the middle of the night as a sexually charged uh, action, 
that would contradict the way that the narrator, the author, has painted Ruth's character throughout the entire story. And if you chase that a little bit further, if Boaz allows it, it also contradicts Boaz's character as he's cared for this woman as a daughter. And that implies that Naomi's plan would have been out of character with someone who is uh, concerned mainly with Ruth's safety. So the idea that Naomi sent Ruth into this situation that could have been bad for her if Boaz was not above board, I think is a poor interpretation. So we have to read this not through our 21st century romantically charged culture's eyes, just can't watch a Netflix show without fast-forwarding through a few sections, right? We have to look at it through an Israelite's eyes, one who's wanting to follow the law of God as best they could, because that's what their salvation was dependent upon. So we see Ruth and Naomi and Boaz through that lens. It simply means she uncovered his feet, most likely to wake him up with the cool of the night, you know, if you've ever been in a desert, it may be 110 degrees in the day, but at night it drops down into the, the 40s. Happened to me in Moab one time. My, my memory foam pillow froze. That was weird. So most likely she uncovered his feet so that he'd wake up eventually. Okay? So that elephant put to rest. So what we see now as midnight approached, the middle of, of the night, Boaz is startled awake. And if you've ever been startled awake by another human, uh, your reaction usually isn't the best. Like for someone with small children, uh, in the middle of the night, you know, this, this human under three feet tall, like as close as they could physically get to your face, yells at you to wake up. Like you don't wake up very well, right? At least I don't. So what we see here is this, this man who's worked really hard, probably in a deep sleep, get woken up because his feet are cold, and then he realizes there's another human at his feet. He understands this woman. He says, well, who are you? Didn't recognize her. Most likely because the, the clothing she would have worn would have covered 90% of her body, by the way. And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So there's two pieces to this uh, answer that are amazing. Uh, she first answers with, with humility and propriety, as she does throughout the story. She is a picture of humility, but she's also a picture of someone trying to live into this covenant promise, I'm going to be Israelite, not a Moabite. So she looks uh, at what God requires of her as an Israelite woman, and she tries to live that way as best she can. And she's like, I am Ruth, your servant, placing herself figuratively and literally at the feet of Boaz. I am your servant. I'm going to lay by your feet. But then she does something out of character for a humble servant. She gives him a command. Not a request. It's no question mark. There's a period. Full stop. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, this is out of the ordinary. Maybe even to the point where this was um, inappropriate, potentially. She's basically saying, spread your wings like God spreads his wings over Israel, 
for protection, provision, love, care, shelter. Spread your wings, or some translations say spread your garment, which is uh, also uh, a symbolic of marriage because you are the only one that can redeem my family. And Boaz knew exactly what this meant. And his response wasn't scolding her for not waiting till morning. Uh, His response wasn't cautioning her on the inappropriateness of this whole thing. His response was that of a God who spreads his wings over his people in love with grace, understanding, and care. And he says to her, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Again, using this terminology, not in the literal sense, my blood daughter, but in the sense of I want to care for you in all the ways you need, sense of daughter. May you be blessed, my daughter. You have made the last kindness greater than the first, that you have not gone after a young man, whether poor or rich. So what he says here, he blesses her exactly in the way that Naomi does in chapter one when she covenants with her, by the way. That's really cool little factoid. But then he, he calls her the chesed of God. And this is the only place in the whole book where the word chesed or God's kindly, deep, gracious love is literally used, by the way. There's implications that Naomi and Boaz both show it, but this is where the author actually puts it and says, Boaz calls her the chesed of God. He says, you, um, you have made the last chesed greater than the first chesed, meaning the covenant you made with Ruth was amazing, but this one's amazinger. It was for my wife back there. She's, yep, recognize that face. Amazing her because she could have done the easy thing. She was a young widow. She could have found a husband, probably. Any other man could have given her security, um, protection, children. No other man could redeem her family. Only Boaz can do that. She waited because of her care for Naomi. So now you see this mirror chesed. Naomi sends Ruth on this crazy uh, mission because she wants so badly for Ruth to be cared for by this, in her mind, perfect guy. And Ruth waits to find a husband potentially um, only in Boaz because she knows Boaz will redeem Elimelech's line, thus bringing honor back to Naomi. This is the true chesed of God, and Boaz sees it. So he understands his redemptive purpose. He gets, I'm a kinsman redeemer. My job is to redeem those in need. Ruth and Naomi are in need. Elimelech's line is in need. So he steps up and he says, don't fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. So what he does right here is he steps out of his, okay, no. He enacts his authority over her to submit himself to her. Let me say that one more time because that could be confusing. He, as the one that is in charge over and maybe even consider owns Ruth at this point. She's a servant, remember? Different times. Don't freak out. 
he enacts his authority to submit to her command. Sound familiar? The God of all things enacts his authority to become human, to submit to our need of salvation. He humbles himself. So he lowers himself figuratively, not physically, beneath Ruth at this point. And he says, because of your character, that everybody knows, by the way, everybody's like, man, that Ruth Moabite chick, man, she is, like, she's a good one. It's so hard to believe because she's Moabite, and they, you know, they suck. But she, Ruth, she's different, right? Bless her heart. And then we have Boaz saying, basically, I have found the wife that, that, uh, compliments that even rivals my character. See, Boaz knew something. He had to have known that his responsibility uh, required him to live a God-honoring life. And I believe that Boaz uh, was authentic in this, and it wasn't a, let me do this for you, God, so you give me Salvation, I think it was, God, you've given me salvation, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to live well. I'm going to be the redeemer, even if it's uncomfortable or costly. And he's finally met a woman who does the exact same thing. So it's, this is the moment where romance truly begins, in my opinion. It's that moment where, where Boaz has been observing, Ruth has been observing, and they finally get to tell each other, yes, you're the one. Yes, and he finally gets the opportunity to, to promise her what he's probably, and again, I'm reading into this, been wanting to promise her. I will redeem you. So once again, we see Noemi, Ruth, and Boaz as types or examples that represent us and represent Jesus. Noemi and Ruth are in need of redemption, just like us. Humanity lost its way in the garden. Humanity thrust itself out of God's loving, caring wings in an effort to fly their own way. Sin has caused us to be separated from this chesed love of God. And we are in need of redemption. And every person knows this to some degree or the other. That's why we see our culture mirror that, maybe even, you could argue, supersede that of Moab. Moab was known to be this super secular culture that worshipped many gods to appease, maybe to answer that want, that need, to feel good, to uh, feel purpose. Well, look at our culture. We chase gods every day to fill needs. And you may reach the top of whatever that thing you're chasing, and then you're like, have we arrived? Are you going to fulfill me in the thing? Whatever it is, money, success, relationship, whatever it is, says, no, no, we got to go a little further. And it keeps telling you that. And what you don't realize is it's, it's your, your tricky little heart that keeps searching for a God in empty things. And what we see here is Naomi and Ruth know they need to be redeemed. And, and they've probably been down the road 
Husband can't redeem them. Security can't redeem them. And then they meet this Boaz. And his job is to redeem them. So then what do they do? Very human thing. They They concoct a plan to show Boaz that he needs to redeem them. So they, Ruth awkwardly comes into this potentially dangerous situation. You know, she puts on the clothes, she puts on the perfume, she goes in, and we do the same, right? We, we feel the need of redemption. We feel that, I know I can't do this. I've tried so many different ways. It's not working out for me. So I'm gonna try one more thing. I'm gonna put on the church clothes. I'm gonna put on the perfume of good deeds. I'm gonna sneak into uh, the christian stuff or the moral things. I'm gonna give more to these nonprofits at Publix. I'm gonna, uh, you know, I'm gonna do this or that or this or the other. This crazy plan to get God to notice that we need him. And it doesn't work, usually, because God's a step ahead. He knows you need him. He knew you needed him before you needed him. It says in Scripture that before creation, God had planned to send the Son to save the sinful. And if that's the case, he's been looking for you. He sees you in the field. He sees your need. So like Christ, Boaz responded to to Ruth with this grace and this care and then this loving generosity, and he made a promise. I will redeem you. See, Jesus came to earth. He used his authority to submit And he took the sins upon himself on the cross. And in that action, he's giving generously. Infinitely more generous than any human could ever give. He gives, the creator God incarnate gives his life so that he can redeem us. It's far more than 30 pounds of grain. And then he calls us in. He's like, I'm giving you the right to repent and turn from those false gods, your sins, to put those down and become my bride. I'm giving you the right, the power, the authority to say, no, I'm not a Moabite any longer. I'm an Israelite. I'm no longer chasing the things that American culture says will fulfill me. I'm going to chase Christ who gives me eternal fulfillment. And he sends his spirit into us. And that spirit encourages, brings joy in the midst of our sorrows, reminds us of God's love. And then we begin to become little Boazes ourselves. We begin to look at God and say, you've loved me so much through Christ that now I want to live a way that people will see that you want to redeem them. They will see that you see them through me. So the theme that I constantly come back to in this story is the reality that as we live as the church, as we can um, 
understand how Ruth and Naomi were in need when Boaz redeems them, when Boaz promises them this this redemption and this high place, this continuation of a line, that we're handed the same kinsman redeemer title for our friends and our family and strangers around us. May they look at the church, the people of Christ, and see what Naomi and Ruth saw in Boaz, what Boaz saw in Naomi and Ruth, this chesed love that supersedes everything in life, but also enables us to use everything in life to bring the redemption of Christ to everything in life. So that's my, my hope from my own heart. That's a prayer that I've begun praying, knowing that I fall short every single day. I forget about Boaz and Naomi and Ruth. And, but realize, the Holy Spirit's like, come on back, come on back. So my hope for you as we end, think about how these real people, this, this account is a type for every single one of our lives. So if you're in here, you're not a Christian yet, and you're like, man, I, I don't know. Understand, you may be in the, in the field with Naomi in chapter one. She's just lost everything. But then God says, hey, Naomi, I visited my people back in your hometown. I've blessed them. Go back. Follow that whisper to wherever it leads you. I bet you it leads you to a Christian friend or a church or the Bible, or some scripture post, maybe even a Christian meme, you'd be surprised at how being like, oh, this is funny. They must not be that bad. Let me, it happens. Maybe you're Ruth. You know where you stand. You've committed, but your life still isn't put together. Jesus promises an eternal wedding where he puts you as heirs and queen to his throne for eternity. So this life, the blink of an eye thing, Our life is but a blink of an eye. Jesus promises no matter how bad it gets here, if you are his for eternity, it will be magnificent. Those promises there should lead you to a point where you can be Boaz in your friend's life, pointing them to Jesus through your love, your generosity, your care. So that is my prayer for my family here at the Grove, that we would be Boaz's as we go, that we would show them the commitment of Ruth and that we'd have the love and care for others of Naomi. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these people. Thank you that they uh, lived this crazy life and that someone recorded it to show us that it is quite possible for us to live a God-honoring life that brings people to the understanding that you want to redeem them. So I pray that as we, we stand and sing, that as we go from here, that as we go through our work week, our school, our whatever it is, our home life, watching our children um, grappling with singleness, grappling with the hard decisions that we have, that you will lead us through your spirit to look at all those things as tools that we can utilize to show your good grace and generosity. Teach us how to do that. Lead us to your word, lead us to prayer, and lead us to 
the other people in our lives so we could sharpen each other to be these types of Christ's love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at Grove Church PSL and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.